Thanks so much for listening in to the Saints Hill Church Podcast. Our vision is to see heaven come to earth, and we do this by equipping the saints to know who they are in Christ, to walk in freedom through the truth, and make disciples who change the world. We hope this message draws you further into relationship with our Father, and if you would like to give to the mission of Saints Hill, please visit our website at saintshill.church. And thank you. Your generosity helps to keep Saints Hill going. Now, on to the message. So once you have your Bible, if you guys want to turn with me to Luke 12, we're still in Luke 12, and would you guys stand with me for the reading of Scripture? Thank you. Once you get there, we're going to go to verse 22. This section is entitled, Do Not Worry. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. You, who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to your life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom first and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and take a seat. When I got the email that I was going to be teaching on this text, I got really excited because this is an incredibly dear text to my heart. Um, I remember I had this encounter with the Lord when I was 19 on this text that completely changed my life. I would say it even led me to this place, to Newburgh, was like the first step in that direction. Um, I wasn't really walking very closely with the Lord at the time. I had this wonderful relationship with him, 14, 15, 16 years old. But, you know, as time goes on, sometimes difficult things happen. And I'd had these painful experiences, and I started to blame God for those things that were happening in my life. And I got really frustrated with him. And so in, in that season, I began to turn my heart away from God to these other things and connecting to all kinds of things that weren't bringing life um, and it's funny to me, when I think back on it, I would like talk to God. I still had a relationship with him, but I would say things like, I don't think you're good, or I don't really like you. I'm not following you. But I couldn't acknowledge that he wasn't there because I did have this history with him. Like he had shown up in my life before. Um, but I, I started dipping my toes into the ways of the world. And for me, that looked like dating people that I shouldn't and sneaking around and just filling my mind and my heart with these things that were killing my sense of identity and worth. And at the same time, I began to experience, for the first time, overwhelming sensations of anxiety. 
that I began to have an inability to sleep. I felt heavy, worn, and would think obsessively about things. And I was still giving off this image to everyone that I was like this good Christian girl. I couldn't quite let go of that yet. But on the inside, I was crumbling. And it started coming to a head for me. I was part of this Christian camp for kids in high school. And I didn't really want to be there, but it had been one of those interactions with the Lord where he was like, you're going. And I'm like, fine. Um, And so I'm in the back of this 15-passenger van driving through California and really struggling with the incongruence in my life. Like, I'm telling people that Jesus loves them, and I am not sensing that in my life. I have all this anxiety. So I was like, I need something. I flip randomly, randomly in my Bible to this passage. I read this passage, and the Holy Spirit comes and cuts into my heart like a knife. I'll never forget sitting there, what it felt like to have that encounter with the Holy Spirit. And he showed me, he he said to me, when you stopped wholeheartedly seeking the kingdom of heaven and your connection and closeness with me, I had begun to build my own kingdom. And my anxiety was the result of that lifestyle choice. And so I think, you know, connection is our word for the year. And I think it's just so the Lord to give us all these passages as we're like preaching through Luke that have to do with connection. Um, and when I look at this passage and I think back on my life, um, this is why connection is so important. What we connect our heart to, we put our trust in, and it is what becomes the treasure of our heart. And so last week, we got this really convicting, really fire word from Jake. I was kind of like listening to it, and I was like, man, Jake says all this stuff that I was going to (laughs) say. But it, it really focused on like our connection with what we have changes when we have a connection with Jesus. And to me, this teaching is really just part two. I like to think of it like a diamond. You know how a diamond has all those little cuts on it? And if the diamond was our heart, the Lord just wants to make another little cut. And this time it's not. It's about our worry and our anxiety and how we are connected to things and how that impacts our heart. He wants to make us more beautiful. He doesn't want to cut us to hurt us. He wants to make us sparkle. And the truth is, he created us to be unworried humans. Unworried humans, a people no longer controlled by the concerns of this world. And my question this morning is, is that you? When I say that, do you feel that? Is that who you would like, does that resonate with you? I'm a person that's unworried, no longer controlled by the concerns of this world. And I'll be honest, I come at this passage and I think to myself, that's not always me. (laughs) A lot of the time, that is not me. If actually, uh, if I could get a doctorate in worry, I would have one. For sure, the amount of time that it takes to get one, the amount of time that I've spent worrying. Um, I could probably like teach classes on how to worry. How to like, what is the worst thing you could think about right before you go to bed? I could tell you exactly what it is and just how to do it. And um, even how to allow those thoughts to begin to rule and reign in your heart. Um, But they have no grounding in reality. (laughs) I could do that. So I just want you to know, starting off, that I'm qualified. And... (laughs) It's not that I am proud, but I'm qualified to talk to us. Everything that I'm going to say today, everything that I'm going to share that the Lord has shared with me, he has challenged me in first, and he has (laughs) cut me with first. And this is a pretty aggressive passage, um, and I love it because the Lord has gotten really intense with me about it, and the fruit that I can't even describe to you. I'm going to get a little crazy at the beginning, but the amount of anxiety I have lost over the last few months, just getting in this passage every day, and then getting invited into, like, putting it into practice in my life, I want that for all of you. So I hope to impart that to you today. I want you to know I know what it feels like to be anxious, but that you can not be anxious. So Jesus starts off 
He's, he doesn't nuance this at all. He says, do not worry about your life. So last week we heard about our stuff. We need to like watch out that we don't take pride in our ability to acquire money, possessions, etc. So I was thinking about that and I feel like last week it's like pride says I have enough. I don't need to trust you, Jesus. I would rather put my trust in what I have. And I think worry is a little different. It says, will I have enough? I don't know. I'm afraid to trust you. So the definition of worry um, is, I love definitions, it's to give way to anxiety or unease, to dwell on difficulties or troubles. And maybe you've heard this before. I think I heard Chris Valentin say this before, but worry is imagining the future without God in it. And this applies more to just the future. This applies to everything, finances, relationships, health, anything we're worrying about, we're thinking about it without seeing God in it. And so that's why I believe worry is first connected to how we see God and then how we see God's care for us. And that is why I think Jesus starts off this passage with such a loving tone. He's trying to build trust with us on how he wants to take care of us. So a little further down in our passage, he says, to consider the birds and consider the flowers. They don't worry about their lives. And I believe what Jesus is saying is look at how intimately involved God is with creation. He has the time and the capacity to be involved in the littlest of things, and he loves doing it. And yes, I, I, he created systems, you know, to take care of flowers and birds, rain, sunshine, trees for nests, things like that, just like he has systems for us, ways for us to make money and provide for our families, to grow and harvest food, create shelter. But we don't believe that that's it. God didn't only put systems in place, otherwise taking care of ourselves would be our responsibility alone. And I also don't think Jesus is saying don't do anything with your life when you consider a bird or a flower and how they um, receive from God. He's not saying just go sit out in a field and don't do anything with your life, receive, or you know, sit on a branch. Um, if we were to actually take time, like Jesus says, to consider the flowers and birds, we would find that they do indeed work pretty hard at what they were designed to do. The flower receives the sun and the rain, but then digs the roots into the ground, participates in photosynthesis, and then maybe if we're lucky, we get to enjoy a flower on our kitchen table at some point near the end of its life. The same for birds. Birds build nests, they care for their youngs, they spend their time flying and singing. Birds are such a carefree example. I love that God chose beautiful things like flowers and birds. They just spend their time singing. They operate and function within their purpose. And we too were designed for that. We were designed to function and operate within our purpose. And our purpose and what we were intended for is all in the pages of scripture. We could spend all our time talking about that. But I do think the basics is we were designed to work six days and rest one, cultivate the earth, co-labor with Christ, invest in our families and communities and fulfill the great commission. And so we are, we're called to specific duties, but Jesus wants us to pay attention to something that the birds and the flowers do that's really important. And I think it's how they receive and are cared for by God. God cares deeply for the tiny things that we don't even notice. You know, Alex said this a few weeks ago when he brought up how God knows the very number of hairs on our head, whether he feeds every bird and creates every little flower, which I kind of think that he does. I think he's big enough to do that. We don't know that for sure, but what we do know is that each bird and each flower and each hair and each human matters to God more than we can ever imagine. 
And it's really important that we start here because Jesus starts here. He doesn't start with the cost of discipleship. He doesn't start with the last part, which is like, sell all you have. He starts with the part where he wants us to know that God cares about us. He starts with the divine care of a loving and powerful father who is not only able of taking care of you, but he wants to take care of you. So he says, how much more will he clothe you? He loves you. You're so much more valuable to him even than the birds and the flowers. So <clears throat> I think, sorry, oh my gosh. <coughs> my straw. Lord, help me. Okay. <laughs> so really, the Lord, he's not building an argument against worry so much, but against, but for, sorry, trusting in God to provide. Jesus is saying this, I believe in this passage. I wish you knew the life on offer for you. Your enemy has lied to you about your worth and value to God and his ability to provide for his family that he loves so much. And so he starts with some basic worries that we have. What will you eat? What will you wear? And I think it's easy to imagine this time in history, like a lot of the people he would have been talking to um, with the Roman occupation of Israel would have been very concerned about these things. Maybe they didn't have enough food or maybe they didn't know where, if they could even get like a second pair of clothing. Um, and so I think for us, it could be easy to kind of tune out of that. Most of us have more than one pair of clothing. Most of us have a refrigerator with food in it. Um, but we still worry about this stuff. The Lord was showing me that this week. We worry about the same stuff, just from a different angle. I believe that we worry not so much about quantity anymore, but quality. Um, and that's not true for all of us. I know there's this is a, a time with inflation that it is difficult for people. But for a lot of us in this room, I think we're asking ourselves questions like this. Is this food organic? Does it have seed oils? You know, honestly, like I spent hours this month trying to figure out what formula to feed my son and being anxious about it. Like, what are the perfect ingredients? You spend any time on social media, you will find this to be true too. People are going a little uh, wacky on there these days. I'm not gonna lie to you. Um, or when it comes to clothing, like, does this brand communicate to people that I'm important? Do, does this my color? Do I look good? I mean, how much time do we spend getting ourselves ready in the morning? I was going to, like, stand up here, and I was like, oh, no, what am I going to wear? You know, I just had, like, a baby not that long ago, and you think a lot about your clothes and what you wear and what that communicates to people. And um, I think we spend more time than we realize worrying about, but more importantly, identifying with those things. So it's not about having food or not having food, having clothes, not having clothes. It's about, like Jake said, our connection to those things and what that's doing to our hearts. And maybe you're not really a things person. That's okay. I know you're here somewhere. You don't actually care about things and you don't care about fashion. You don't care about fancy food. But Jesus takes time in the gospels to address everything that we could possibly put our hearts on. Um, our, he says we can't put our mothers, fathers, kids, husbands above devotion to him. And there's this lie that lurks all around us. It's, it's called marketing. Um, it suggests that if we have more money, better clothes, closer friendships, more children, whatever you want to fill in the blank, that is what will make us more happy and that our freedom is right around the corner of what we can buy next. And I know this because I have like 17 really beautiful jackets, like REI jackets in my closet because I used to work at REI and I would get like a really good deal. And every year they'd come out with another color. I did not need another jacket, but I needed the color. And it was going to make me happy. And now I have 17 jackets I don't wear because I had a baby. And they don't fit. So learn from me. But it's actually the opposite. 
It could not be more the opposite. The more we accumulate in this life, hoping that it will free us from those feelings of void that we have, especially if we don't surrender it, it will start to rule over us. We can worry about the stuff we already have or we can worry about maybe not getting something that we want in the future, but either way, worry is a trap. And the trap is that it feels like we're doing something. You know when you're like thinking really hard, you're thinking through, with the formula thing, I was like, I am figuring out what the best formula is gonna be, but I wasn't, I was worrying. And it felt like I was doing something, but it was really just a waste of time. Not only will you not change a thing by worrying, Jesus says you can't add an hour to your life by worrying. I think the irony is you can actually shave hours off your life by worrying. You know what I mean? Uh, When we worry, it actually has a negative effect on that thing that we love so much. And so I guess what I'm trying to get to this morning is that I think this message isn't just for like the anxious people. Like the people like me who are like, I have a really big anxiety issue. It's also for us who just worry about the little things in our lives, like our food and our clothes, more than we realize. And my heart is not that like, I would look at you and be like, you're worrying. Let's find the place where you're worrying so you can feel guilty about it. It's more about being honest with the Lord about those places where we worry so that he can come in and heal us in that place. If we're not honest about it, if we pretend we're not worrying, we won't get healed and it will cause problems. Jesus says, at the end of this passage, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So I wanna take a minute to talk about the connection between anxiety and the heart. What is the heart? What is the heart? What are we even talking about? The biblical definition of the heart is that it's the center of the mind, will, and emotions. So it's kind of that inner man. It's the place where you make your choices based on your desires. It's not just how you feel. Your mind is involved, but it's where you you make that decision. So when you are feeling worried or feeling anxious, that is typically an indicator that something is not right inside your heart, right? And I like to think of it like this. It's like an oil light coming on in your car. Do you guys know what an oil light is? Okay, I was trying to explain this to Chris and he thought I was talking about the check engine light. So I needed to be clear. It's the little red one, the little drop of oil that's coming down. And I don't know a lot about cars, but I remember my dad was like, you, that light comes on, you pull over, you do not drive that car anymore, it's over. Um, that's the naughty light on the car. Uh, so I, I, th- <laughs> I think for a lot of us, and I, I am speaking for myself, but I'm sure some of you might feel this too. I'm a Christian, I know I'm not supposed to be anxious. And so when I start getting that indicator light of worry and anxiety about something, my response is often, no, I'm not supposed to worry. And I'll push that down and pretend I'm not worrying. And what that does, it's like taping over an oil light on your car. You can keep driving the car for a little bit, but over time you can cause some really serious damage to your car. And if you do that to your body, you can really damage your body and end up with anxiety disorders, all kinds of things that are really difficult to heal from. And I'll be the first one to say I believe in healing, that the Lord can heal those things. And I love therapy when Jesus is in the room. And I was in counseling many, many times um, with different counselors, with After the Rain, big plug for them. I think they're wonderful. Um, But those are just tools. They're really, really great tools, but they're not enough. If we're struggling with worry, our indicator light is saying we need new oil. We need something new. We need a new way of thinking and a new heart. And sorry, we also need a new heart, but that wasn't my point. We need a new way of thinking and a new way of living. 
Ezekiel 36, 26. I think I have a slide for that. Yeah. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. First of all, there is good news. We actually do have a new heart. Our heart of stone is over. Our heart of flesh is finally here. This is good news. This means we actually have access to a joyful, peaceful, hopeful heart, and we've been given a new spirit as well. And this is really important because some of us don't believe it's even possible. Some of us have never, like, not felt anxious in this room, and I'm not, that's that's okay, but that's gonna change today. It's possible for your inner man not to be anxious, and we need to believe that. Fear, worry, and anxiety are considered mental disorders once they interrupt your ability to live your life the way that you want to. So once they affect your lifestyle, they move into your body. But we don't always realize, or we do realize it, but too late is that it's often our lifestyle that causes our anxiety. It's what we're putting in our minds. It's maybe what we're putting in our bodies. Um, You know, I was learning this when I was 19, choosing to turn myself away from the Lord to these other things. The physical affects the mental, emotional, and the mental, emotional affects the physical. And I don't think that's like news to anyone. Um, But what I'm trying to get at here, I'm trying to go somewhere with this, is if our emotions are indicators of how our heart is doing, and I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that our emotions indicate where our heart is. If you're wondering where your heart is, you could maybe look at what what are my emotions like? And therefore, where our treasure is. Because Jesus says, where your heart is, there your treasure will be. And I think we'd all agree that hope and joy and peace and the fruit of the Spirit and all those things we experience in our hearts and in our bodies when we're in the presence of God are great indicators that our heart, our treasure is in Christ. But could we also say that feelings of anxiety and worry indicate that our treasure may not be in Christ? And I, I think so. And this was a big wake-up call for me as someone who has allowed myself to worry and acted like it wasn't that big of a deal. (laughs) I love Jesus, and through my worry, I was not treasuring him. I was treasuring other stuff. And I I think this is actually a really good news. I was like overjoyed when I found out about this indicator system from the Lord, because we know the mechanic. We know that if the light comes on, he can fix us. So it's, it, the light comes on and it's not like, oh man, I'm anxious. How bad am I? It's like, Lord, there's something I'm worrying about. And I just realized, I just learned right now, my treasure wasn't in you, but I want it in you. And so I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna let you do whatever it takes to fix that, to heal that, to change my oil, whatever it takes to heal me. And so maybe this is like not news to you. And that's great. If it's not news to you, that's wonderful for you. It was news to me. Um, and... It's, but as I thought more about it, I was like, this really isn't news to Jesus. And so when Jesus explains this to us, he's the most qualified person <laughs> because he knows what it's like to be God. He knows what it's like to be man and he knows what it's like to create man. So if anybody knows what's going on in your heart, it's him. Like he's really qualified to like look into your heart and say, this is what you need. And I think a lot of times when we're anxious, we come up with a list of things we need to do. But Jesus has a really interesting command that to me feels a little bit unrelated to anxiety. But if we follow what he says because we trust him, because we know that he knows what he's talking about, that's where we get the fruit and get freed from anxiety. The reason I bring this all up is that Jesus' cure for a mental process like worry is largely physical. If you look down at verse 31, 
He says, but seek his kingdom and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What we do with our physical bodies is a really big deal. Jake brought this up last week with fasting. And it's a great example about when you put your body in a position and you say, I'm not gonna eat food right now. I'm gonna like look to you, Jesus, to provide for my need and for you to show up. Something happens in your inner body, in your heart, that is unexplainable. It's not just food-related breakthrough. I used to think that. I'd be like, oh, if you really wanna get free from like caring too much about food, you should fast. No, no. I mean, maybe if that's the case, but it's putting your body in this posture of surrender to Jesus and saying, I will receive what I need from you, and then he's faithful to do it. It taps you into his strength when you choose to be weak for his sake. When you choose. So maybe you've been wondering to yourself, how does selling what you have, giving stuff away, making treasure in heaven actually help with my worry? Well, something radical happens in us when we surrender our physical needs and put ourselves in a position where we truly need Jesus. It does something in the spiritual. It pushes back on the enemy's first lie. Lie? It was his first lie, but it was really his first temptation. Pushes back on his first temptation, which was take, eat. He did that to Eve. He did that to Jesus. Take, eat. Take, stockpile. Take, enjoy. No one is taking care of you. You have to take care of yourself. And I think we tend to think with worry and anxiety that if we just think better, that will fix it. And I do think that's part of it. There's lots of scriptures about renewing your mind and I'm not gonna knock on that at all. But entering into the kingdom is more than just thinking well. Just thinking better will still give you a sense of control. I'm renewing my mind. I'm reading my Bible. I'm doing this. I'm putting these good thoughts into my mind. But an act like giving everything away in a physical sense gets your body in a posture of trust as well. And so while I was preparing for this teaching uh, for the last few months, <laughs> way too long, um, I felt like the Lord asked me a few weeks ago to give away a very specific amount of money, more than we've ever given away at any time, at one time. And it ended up being the exact amount of money in our emergency fund. And so I need to say this, I've never really thought of myself as having an issue with money. I've never been a super financially driven person. Um, and Chris does our finances and he's really generous. And so all the time he'll be like, we should just give this money to this person. And I'm like, yeah, that's a great idea. But I don't really know what's going on. <laughs> uh, I'm like, I assume that means we're fine and we can do that. Uh, so I've always felt like, okay, I'm kind of good on the money, the money front. But the Lord revealed to me that I may not have a strong like drive financially and wanting to be wealthy, but I do rely on having enough money to feel safe. And I allow that to replace my trust and alleviate my fear for the future. Because I, I, I don't maybe struggle with wanting to be wealthy, but I do fear what the future holds. So having something like an emergency fund, which is not a bad thing, by the way. I encourage you to have an emergency fund. It's not a bad thing. We, you know, after we gave it away, we're already putting money back into it. Um, but you know, when the Lord asks for it, we give it up because you, we know that's where life is found. When he puts his finger on something, you know that you could say no and pretend you didn't hear him. But when you know it's him, you kind of get excited. You're like, this is gonna be good. This one scares me, so this one's gonna be good. 
And I was a little nervous. I was a little scared. I was like washing the dishes after because the Lord told me and I had to tell Chris and be like, I think we need to do this. And I knew he was going to say, okay, because he's generous. <laughs> so I was a little nervous. And I was like washing the dishes and the Lord was just like, you, you know that when you give me that money, I'm going to break off all kinds of anxiety and fear in you. And he did. Like, I was so scared to get up here and talk. And I really am very happy to be here. <laughs> so it, there is a connection. There's a connection between what we do physically and our mental state. And it's not inauthentic to make that outside change before you feel the inside change. I want to be really clear about that. It's declarative. It's declarative to do that. It's saying, I'm scared to do this, but I know that when I do this, my fear will be defeated. So I'm going to do it anyway. And so if you start, this is my encouragement today, if you start putting yourself in positions for God to take care of you willingly, you will begin to create a history with God that grows your belief not only in his heart, but his ability to take care of you. And I mean you, like not just us and not just the church, but you. You and him in the context of your specific needs and your heart and your dreams and your vision for life, all of it. And what I love about this is it's not a command. He doesn't, he's not commanding us to just give stuff away. It's an invitation. It's an invitation into a lifestyle. It's an invitation before it's anything. Jesus didn't invest in earthly things because he had a different value system than we have. For him, it was anything that threatened to get in the way of the Father's place in his heart was not worth it. And so I do want to be clear that, like, there's nothing wrong with having clothes and there's nothing wrong with having food. Um, and there's nothing wrong with enjoying both quality and quantity of those things. There's nothing wrong with having a spouse or a family, um, a house, pets. Those are good things, but they are just things. And they are lesser loves when they're compared with the love of God. So the question that I was like asking myself as I read this was like, does Jesus really want us to sell our things? Because you kind of like read this passage and you're like, did Jesus really mean it? <laughs> and so, you know, I, I like went into some commentaries. I'm like, well, what do people who like read the scriptures think? And honestly, I walked away from the commentaries feeling relieved. And I don't think that was a good thing. There, I read a lot that softened this passage, alluding that as long as you're living open-handed, you're good. And there's just something different. Like you can live open-handed and then you can also live just giving things away. Those are two different things. And it, it makes sense why we want to water it down. It feels very unrealistic of Jesus to ask this of his followers. We nuance it, but Jesus didn't when he called the rich young ruler. And so I want to turn there, actually. Mark 10, 17 through 22. Would you guys turn there with me? Thank you. I love hearing those pages go. This is fun. Also really fun. I don't know if it's fun. It's kind of scary to be the one up front and everyone does what you say. <laughs> it's, kind of, it's kind of scary. Okay, uh, verse 17. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him and said, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, and shall honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these things I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And he said, one thing you lack, go sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad 
because he had great wealth. I want to draw attention to something. This is, this is just the same invitation, not a command. Jesus looks at this guy and loves him. He looks into his heart and he saw what he needed to give up to experience true life. And what's heartbreaking about this passage is this is the only person we know of who when Jesus said, come follow me, they didn't come. They didn't follow. It says he went away deeply grieved. And I think it's interesting. We don't know this guy's name. He was so identified with his riches that we don't know his name. We know him. He's remembered to us for his treasure and what he loved. He missed out, not because he was rich, and it's not wrong to be rich, but because he was unwilling and unable to do what it took to be identified, unidentified with his riches, which was to give it all away. And Jesus said all. He didn't make deals. He did say all. I'm learning something, and I don't think it's that Jesus just wants us to be poor. <laughs> and that's why we give things up. It's not that. It's about becoming trustworthy and becoming free. Free enough to be trusted with more. I do believe that a lot of times when you give something up, the Lord is like, that's someone I can trust with more. I'm actually gonna pour more on that person. But I think we water down the invitation because it scares us, but then we live lives of anxiety because we're missing the breakthrough and joy on the other side of this invitation. It's a good invitation. If it sounds scary, then we're listening to the wrong voice. And even Jesus was tempted in this. You know, when he was in the garden, what he was about to do and give himself up was scary to him. But it says he chose to do it for the joy set before him. So I don't think it's wrong to feel nervous about things that the Lord asks us to give up. But if we allow that feeling to make the decision for us, we miss the joy and we miss the breakthrough. And we might walk out of this room somewhat relieved, but missing the lifestyle of kingdom power we were made for. And we were made for more. We were made for more than collecting things. And we need to get a bigger vision of life. I feel like the Lord is on this right now. He wants us to get a bigger vision for life. And the reality check is that you will lose everything you're afraid of losing. You will. Holding on to it tighter will not change that. It says that we don't take anything with us when we die. But in Jesus' kingdom, we're invited to do things that will last forever, forever, to build a legacy that lasts. Those things will exist forever. Not our stuff, but the things done with the Lord, the sacrifices made out of devotion to Jesus, those things will last forever. In this text, it says, it's his delight to give you the kingdom, but you cannot receive the kingdom of God if your hands are full of your own kingdom. You just can't. And that's what I was learning when I was 19, and I'm learning it now. My response that day in the van was like, Lord, I sign up again. I want you, whatever the cost. And there was, there was a cost. I had to break up with my boyfriend, then I moved away from home. But my life was night and day different after that moment. But the Lord has actually been revealing to me when I was opening to this scripture that I need more than this, just that one encounter with him on it. Does that make sense? Like, I need more encounters just about different stuff. So I could see these places where I had begun building my own kingdom again. And it was less grungy than like my 19 year old kingdom. But the result was the same, anxiety and lack of peace. These wonderful things in my life, getting married, getting a house, having a child, all of these seasons for me were marked by high levels of anxiety. 
And it was because they were so special to me that I allowed them to come up into that place in my heart and become my treasure. And I, when I opened the text for the first time, I was like, I have to believe that's possible for me again. Because I was more anxious lately than I wanted to admit. I could pretend that I wasn't. But under having like a new kid and not sleeping, all these things were starting to like squeeze out of me. And they weren't bad things, you know, like these things I was trying to make my treasure. They were good things. But when left unsurrendered, even the good stuff can wreak havoc in your soul. Boyfriends, emergency funds, online shopping, excessive exercising. If it's taking over your heart, it may feel fun at first. In fact, it probably does or you wouldn't do it. But worship of anything other than Jesus will only end in anxiety and fear and you will be mastered. Worship costs us either way, but in one choice, only one, the choice, the reward is worth the cost. Did I get the quote up on the screen, Elena? Dietrich, Dietrich, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, how do you say that? Says it this way, costly grace is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the pearl of great price to buy which the merchant will sell all his goods. It is the kingly rule of Christ for whose sake a man will pluck out the eye which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets and follows him. Such grace is costly because it calls us to follow and it is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It is costly because it costs a man his life and it is grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it cost God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace, because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. All I have to say today really is just, we have to stop acting like it doesn't cost everything. It's an all or nothing kingdom and we really do own nothing. Matthew 13, 14 says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he went and sold all that he had and he bought that field. In his joy, he saw where true treasure was found and he went and sold all that he had to buy that field. He was not told he had to do it. It was the response of seeing the treasure. And this isn't just a cute idea. There are so many concrete examples of this in Jesus' followers. Mary with her nard. You know, Mary, she breaks the expensive perfume on the feet of Jesus in front of everyone and she wipes her, his feet with her hair. Can you imagine if someone came up and did something like that, how weird and offensive that would be in front of one of our gatherings? She gave up what she had financially and socially the fishermen with their nets, they left them. They left their nets. That was their livelihood on the beach. Matthew was a tax collector. He had a wonderful career, but he left it. All the money, privilege, gave it up. The women who funded Jesus' ministry, they were willing to give him their actual money. They saw how precious he was. They gave it away to him. It started with their possessions, but you look at the disciples, it ended with their lives. They were not willing to hold anything back. They died for the kingdom. And I want to finish with this. There's this song that I love by Stephanie Gretzinger. She's incredible. Um, and it says, there's nothing in this life worth the cost of losing you. 
these people got that. They understood, they tapped into that value system. But there's another line right after that, and it, the first time I heard it, like, hit me in the stomach. <laughs> Is it even sacrifice if I trade the world for you? And that line just sticks with me. Is it even sacrifice? Because we could spend all our time talking about what it costs, but then are we thinking too highly of what we're giving up? Because we think what we have is more precious than Jesus. Paul did not think that. He says, I count all things as loss for the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. Moses didn't think that. You know, Moses didn't actually get to go into the promised land. And I remember always feeling so bummed for him. <laughs> like, even though he messed up, you know, like. But he didn't need to. He already had his treasure. He had encountered God in his fullness that day on the mountain, and he never wanted anything else. In fact, when Jesus says, I'm gonna send an angel to lead you guys, I am so tired of the Israelites. Moses is like, we're not going if you're not going. <laughs> I would rather stay in the wilderness with your presence than go to the promised land without it. And so I don't know who needs to hear this today. I need to hear this today. The promised land is not the treasure. The calling on your life is not the treasure. And the money, no matter how generous you plan on being with it, is not the treasure. He is. And it is not, like naive to say this, it is knowing Christ and trusting in him that will deliver us from lives of worry into lives of trust and peace. Let it not be said of us, Saints Hill, that the kingdom of heaven stayed in our heads, claiming principles, but unwilling to let it move from principle into our lifestyle. Because one day it will just be us and him, and none of our stuff will be there. None of the stuff and none of the people we thought were important, it's gonna be you looking into his eyes, and you will wanna know why you made the lesser loves the treasure of your heart. None of your stuff will be there, but he will be there. And you, will you be with the treasure of your heart then? You can be. You can be. Thanks for listening. If we can do anything to help you, or if you want to stay in the loop with what is going on in and around the church, you can follow us on Instagram, download the Saints Hill app in the App Store, or visit our website.